Hello everyone, uh, welcome to episode 1 and or episode 2, depending on the way that you look at things. The pilot episode, technically episode 0, but hey. Uh, this is the Thursday the 1st of August, so we're not far between episodes. Uh, but anyway, thanks to everyone who listened to the, the first episode. Dave and I learned a lot. Uh, we received a ton of great feedback. Um, a, lot of, a lot of things that worked, a lot of things that didn't. Uh, one thing overall was primarily the length, so we're hoping to keep this to kind of 20 to 30 minutes, might push like 31 minutes if we're being being crazy about things, but That's I think we're excited, excited to do another, <laughs> isn't that right Dave? Yeah, for sure, um, the, the, the feedback's been uh, quite amazing, I didn't quite expect so many people to listen in so early, and so I've got loads of nice feedback from a lot of different people, uh, in particular what one chap was saying that they're interested in getting into InfoSec a bit more and like trying to get back into learning, uh, which is off the back of that first pilot. So that feels pretty good. Yeah, a few good factors definitely, mm -hmm. definitely yeah. there. Um, so yeah, um, I think what we're going to try doing is just continuing what we did last time. I'm going to ask Andy a bunch of questions. We're going to tackle, we were originally going to try doing a bit more about the history of where InfoSec and internet security came from, but then we realised that we're both young yipper, whippersnappers and uh, we might as well wait until we can get some guests who were actually there at the time. So in regards to that, we're talking around the dot-com, kind of 1995, boom. Um, and that's probably, as far as I understand, where a lot of this stuff kicked off. So we'll get someone in in the future to have a bit more of a word about that but in the meantime uh yeah. yeah we'll just crack on with it if you're up for this andy definitely let's let's, let's do this leroy jenkins not leroy oh, jenkins uh, <laughs> uh so yeah um basically i'm just starting off andy uh, so far as you understand it uh, can you give me an elevator pitch uh rundown of the rise for the need for internet security so the, the rise of the need of internet security, why do we need to secure assets, why do we need to secure our things? Well, I mean, if we didn't secure our things, everything would be free. And to an extent, knowledge should be free and all that jazz, but if we don't secure our things, we don't have that protection. It's the same ways. Why, why do you have, why do we have safes? Well, we put our money in safes, we don't just like leave it lying around. Why do we use banks? Well, you know, sometimes you have decentralized things, but you, you want to have that security without using the word security you want to have that warm and fuzzy feeling inside that your stuff's not going to get fucked up essentially yeah and that's an important one to have um so i guess what we can maybe talk about is just so far as you understand that as i mentioned we'll get somebody else on that will talk about this and i'm sure much greater detail uh but um in regards to the history of this industry, uh, as far as you're aware, how did it come about um, and uh, what kind of key events have maybe kind of risen over the last, uh, the, I think it's roughly about 20 years, would you say roughly this industry has been kicking about a bit longer? I want to say 20 years, but we're now in 2019, so I think oh, it's probably been around for 30 years, yeah, close, I guess. close to that. Yeah. So I, my, my understanding of it is that security as a whole has been around since since the internet has been a thing since its incarnation that the real need for security was when people started creating malicious codes so viruses and things you'd hear about them back in the 90s mm -hmm. uh, things like Norton Internet Security came about McAfee came about because that guy invented cybersecurity don't you know uh, around about the 2000s uh, worms became it's like started to become a thing so like the spreading of malicious malicious content mm -hmm. infecting people's machines 
um, and then like later on, internet kind of round about 2003-2004, I think, internet started to skyrocket, so it went from having kind of dial-up internet to more broadband, so that's kind of 2005-2006 start to kick off. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, though, like 1990 was when the first uh, law in the UK came in. So, kind of 1990, the Computer Research Act was was brought in. Um, so, I'm going back and forward, but essentially, the the, the law was brought in to just, like prevent people from doing bad things, and I think that's when bad things started to, to happen. But kind of fast forward now, we're in 2019, and cyber security or just security in general is the forefront of any. In- information technology that's being used anything you can pick up and think of it certainly from uh, like a security standpoint has some form of security like your mobile devices your headphones well maybe not iot iot shooting fish in a barrel but um, <laughs> and that's something we'll th- uh, we've got a couple of questions we've kind of thought about uh, that we'll bring up later on today uh, because the internet of things is certainly a, a really interesting area um so far as what i've been researching uh, with things like raspberry pis i think there was a was it nasa might have got hacked with a raspberry pi recently just plugged into yeah, a random somebody- port I think it was an employee plugged in a, a Raspberry Pi to do a file transfer and the, the Raspberry Pi got compromised. I think it might, it might be a different asset, but it was a very similar scenario to that. Yeah, anyway. and one that I'm sure that's been happening a lot in a lot of different places. Um, so we digress. Yeah, we do, and we will frequently. Yes. <laughs> uh, what, kind of, uh, what kind of stuff keeps uh, your clients up uh, at night in regards to internet security? Um, so uh, wh- what is it that worries them when they go to sleep at night and that they hope's not on fire when they get up the next day? Well, I think primarily, not just my clients, but clients in general, the reason that people get security done is to protect assets, is to protect financial, protect reputation. So the thing that keeps them up at night is, is my money safe? And is the business safe? And I suppose most of all, is my job safe? Because if they're a high-ranking individual in a business, if the reputation or there's financial impact, their job might be on the line. So I'd, I'd say that's that's what keeps them up at night. Yeah, well, so what is it that keeps the security engineers up at night then? Uh, just on the flip side of that. Uh, well, certainly from the perspective of people who are interested in security, so like myself, pen testers, what keeps us up at night is caffeine. And uh, also a, an interest to learn more. I think a lot of people will share the same feelings that there's not enough hours in the day to learn everything we want to learn. Yeah, I know that feeling just now very well. And because of that, a lot of it, it does keep a lot of us up night up at night. Much like the intro to the pilot, and um, that's staying up to sunrise and wondering what day it is. It happens frequently on weekends. You never really know. Like you can be up till six a.m. and go, "Oh shit, it's Sunday morning." When actual fact, oh, it's actually Saturday. Or you've been up all weekend and you wake up and it's Monday morning. So it does does happen. Yeah, you absolutely do. Or I certainly I know I do hit a flow state, and it normally tends to happen around about twelve o'clock at night when I'm completely focused. There's nothing yep. else that's distracting me, and before I know it, it's 4 a.m., and you just wonder where the time go, and then realise that you're up to do your course in the morning. So uh, that'll probably be absolutely no doubt me at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Um, so uh, D- definitely, I mean, from the perspective of staying up late, uh, Paul, I've spoken about Paul Ritchie before, but Paul Ritchie used to comment when I used to work with him. It's like, do you ever sleep? I'm like, nah, not really. Like, I'd I'd be submitting reports into QA, and like the timestamp on them would be like 10 to 4 in the morning. Like, <laughs> how the fuck are you awake? Like, what's going on? 
It's just that, yeah, you know, you're keeping up with Americans or something along those lines. Like, just living in a different time zone. But, um, yeah, we'll go, we'll go with that, Dave. We'll go with that. Yeah, <laughs> why, not, why not? Well, at the moment, we're actually 10 to 12 at night and it's been a long day, so feeling it myself. Uh, can't wait to stay up till four. Um, so, yeah, it's it basically, it seems that uh, I was having a little think earlier on today that the role of a pen tester seems to be an ever-evolving one. You've obviously just mentioned about staying up at night and keeping kind of, you know, your ear to the floor to hear kind of if, if there's any news of or a new news coming out of things that a engineer needs to be worried about in regards to maybe what their pen test will be like tomorrow like is there another wanna cry or something that needs to be looked out into so yeah. would you agree with that like is it is it something it, is it daily changing monthly yearly I, i'd say it's definitely a daily change i mm. mean you you watch things like uh, well reddit's a prime example reddit is great for just about every topic but things like reddit slash r slash netsec reddit slash r slash red team sec there's always every single day even every single hour new articles coming out on it and same with twitter if you follow any of the hashtags ha- things like hashtag pen testing hashtag bug bounty hashtag security you find things even by the second are being updated and that is why the it's there's so much to learn. I mean, there, there are so many different topics as well. It's not just pen testing. You've got the. I mean, we spoke about blue teaming and red teaming last time, but you have the the different areas of that and the subsections of each side as well that you you learn more and more about every time you read. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's sometimes what the scale of this can seem a bit daunting to people like myself starting out just on purely that regard because even after maybe you've finished learning that book that you spent you know months doing like months yeah. reading like and then you realize that either some of it's out of date or there's just so much more to it that's came out like but that's part of the joy for it it just means you're never kind of there's there's always something for you to have a read of and if you're interested in it then you know you're gonna have a good time man that feels good um so um, as, as anything since, since you i think you're about how many years just to clarify for people listening well, if they didn't listen to the total, first one I've have you been, been in, in i've been in it for the last 10 so uh-huh. i've been doing it since i was like 14 15 but i've been in security for maybe eight of those like and then i've been working in the industry for six so like i've, I've been in security kind of minded for about eight years and then actually working six has anything changed uh, that you have noticed since when you started to now? So uh, has anything changed within the industry, either through the kind of jobs that you're doing or even the tools being used? Can you think of anything in particular? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I spoke about it in my Steelcon talk, the, the attitude towards writing specific tooling for specific classes of issues is starting to shift. So we're seeing, certainly in the last three years, bug bounties have become a lot more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I mean, the bug bounties have been around since the 90s, but they've become a lot more mainstream recently, which is good and bad. It's bringing a lot more people into the offensive security set of things, but it's also bringing a lot of kind of not not acceptance of like shit security, but like kind of realisation that things aren't as hunky-dory as they're made out to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I just in regard, we've not really spoke about bug bounties in the first episode all that too much, uh, but I imagine we'll talk about these further and probably a dedicated episode to it. I'd imagine there's so much that you can discuss in regards to them. Uh, but what's your experience with bug bounties um, just throughout your career so far? Uh, yeah, I'd say they've been pretty good. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, bug bounties is essentially an open scope pen test. Uh, you, a company opens up 
what they deem to be within a scope allows anyone to go and look at them if you find a valid bug, submit it to them and they can decide if they want to give you some money for it or maybe some kudos because everybody wants to pay the bills with kudos. Anyway, <laughs> I, I digress. The, my my experience with, pen, uh, with, sorry, with bug bounties has been, I'd say, relatively good. I've made a small chunk of change, uh, which has been quite good to find a lot of bugs in uh, adult websites. Um, what adult websites, Andy? Pornhub hmm. and YouPorn and RedTube and all these companies that are owned by MindGeek. MindGeek is the internet, uh, the internet pornography giant. But anyway, that, so that just is... in regards to like, so let's just specifically use Pornhub because I know it's the one that you've had a lot of experience with, Andy. Uh, just yes, to say, uh, <laughs> a great deal. Um, so, h- how did you go about finding the bug, the bugs on for Pornhub? Have they publicised that they're looking for bugs, or uh, like, did you bit, find bit it randomly? A, bit of a funny story that, but that's a story for another episode. But the the it, we'd be here for the whole full thirty minutes of the of the story. But the the too too long didn't read was I left I left a tool running while it was a load on site, and we'll leave it at that. And that was that. And then history. That was that. Well, the rest so, was history. Yeah, Always we'll, in history. We'll definitely come back and talk about bug bounties another time because uh, I, I imagine we can even probably get some good guests and stuff in that regard. So yeah. um, just the, kind of moving on a wee bit. Um, so looking towards the future. Um, so from where from where we're at just now and look maybe 10, 20 years in the future. What are the kind of changes that you're expecting to maybe happen within the industry uh, with you know new evolving technologies and just the way that we actually use the technology ourselves uh, just on a consumer basis? I think the interfacing with technology is going to change quite a lot. Certainly you're starting to see it now and you have seen it in the past couple of years with uh, things like virtual reality uh, and now recently uh, augmented reality, so things mm-hmm. like the... Microsoft headset that they released, I think the uh, security interfacing from that will be really interesting. Uh, also, the control over machines is going to be changing. Um, a lot of sci-fi uh, fans will be uh, like really excited about the technology that Elon Musk is looking into, the kind of Neuralink sort of stuff. It's so scary. <laughs> it's terrifying, but I think the security of that will be interesting because when I get to the day where I can think about port scanning and the computer goes away and does port scanning, that's when it's game over. Yeah, I remember Elon hearing Elon Musk talking about uh, a bandwidth issue. Uh, I, I might be the wrong phrase for it, uh, but he was saying how we've got really fast computers, but the slow part is still the human being like in between like the yeah. computer and the task at hand. So I guess that's exactly what he's uh, kind of working at. So yeah, that would be certainly be interesting technology. What about AI? Uh, what does that? What AI is an, such an overarching term now, which a lot of people will use interchangeable for different kinds of computers that are basically smart. But um, in regards AI, to AI and tech, uh, and security, like, uh, do you want to tell, tell us a bit about what you think about that? AI is bullshit to start with. <laughs> just just starting that with a line. Until something passes the Turing test, it does not classify as AI. I mean, there have been bots that have been brought out recently. I mean, someone correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's nothing that's been truly 100% artificially intelligent. There have been things that have been classified as machine learnings. So you feed them a bunch of text and it will start to write and reread things. And there's automated um, detections, but it's still signature-based or it's still anomaly-based. Mm. There's nothing that can truly think for itself yet, with the exception of uh, 
one thing that I noticed. So I was at DEFCON 24, which was three years ago, and they had a fully automated capture the flag where they had machines against humans and the machines were solving problems at like fractions of a second, fractions of a fraction of a second quicker than humans were. Jeez. And I think when we get to that point of the computer solving bugs and creating new bug bug classes, that's when it becomes starts to become an issue. But again, that's a, another entirely different topic for a full podcast, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one that I think we'll probably both do a bit of pre-reading to see where we're maybe at with AI and stuff, because machine learning certainly a, a, an interesting one I plan on having a look at myself. But, you know, that's one for the back burner uh, until I get this OSCP out of the way. Um, so I would mention that how, how is your How is your OSCP going? Yeah, it's going really good. Uh, today was buffer overflows. Um, so uh, yeah it's not quite done the kind of practical side of it yet but I think I finally understand the theory certainly when I read through the OSCP material to begin with it was the thing that was shouting out that this is going to be difficult but it's also been the most interesting one as well you're getting to such a low level of uh, breaking into computers rather than just a web application that it's really quite fascinating so yeah it's a difficult one uh, but uh, powering through it and it's been really enjoyable Uh, and I wouldn't just a wee note to anyone that's maybe in the same position don't let it put you off like just keep on reading read that again read that again and eventually you'll understand or at least that's certainly what seems to have worked for me Um, so also to chime in on that when I did my OSCP the understanding of bug uh, not bug bounties I'm talking shite uh, clap 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 um, <laughs> staying on Andy when I did my OSCP uh, the buffer overflow section was quite difficult and I found that the introduction to penetration testing by Georgia Wildman I can't I, sorry Georgia if I pronounced your name wrong but uh, her book has a whole section on buffer overflows and it explains it perfectly um, I'd highly highly recommend uh, if you're if you don't understand buffer overflows to go and take a read of it. It, it has it, it goes through it from taking your hand and walks through it all, and then do it in conjunction with the videos, and you'll you'll be plain sailing. Yeah, it's, I think it was a uh, for a computer file. I think it is YouTube YouTuber. I think I mentioned him last season. Uh, it's last season. Like last I season. Get a bit hell. ahead of ourselves. Like, uh, last <laughs> episodes. Uh, but I'd really suggest people go check uh, him out as well. I think it's University of Nottingham and uh, a couple of the lecturers there make videos. I might be the wrong university if it is. I do apologise. But um, they had a really interesting one on the buffer overflow and a couple of others like the Slow Loris which is oh, yeah. not something that gets used, I believe, these days. It's kind of uh, deprecated or out of date. But um, could you describe this, Lord- Loris, a little bit? It's quite an interesting one. I think people might enjoy if they've not heard it already. Yeah, I mean, the Loris is a denial-of-service attack uh, against Apache, uh, which is you basically send lots of connections and the, it, floods, it floods the server and the server is unable to terminate them quick enough, which causes, causes it to hang. You do find servers now and again that are vulnerable to it, but uh, it's more more and more just being phased out with new frameworks that are rolling out with new versions of Apache and yeah, of like course. Like if there's an issue, like I'd, I'd suggest further reading for people on this little Loris because there's a couple of like slight intricacies that made it really interesting. But um, yeah, obviously it's a known issue and they managed to patch that out, so that's good stuff. Um, so uh, just uh, we're also kind of obviously talking about Internet of Things a bit there, but uh, there's an interesting tool uh, called Shodan, um, and yep. that's certainly one that. 
I think I was the most surprised to realise was such an active resource just on a website online. Could oh, you yeah. explain a bit about Shodan and um, how important it is that your devices don't show up on there? Yeah, Shodan, for anyone who doesn't know, is uh, a search engine built by a guy called John. Uh, I can't pronounce his second name. I'm awful with second names, so I do apologise, John, uh, if you're listening. Uh, it is created to highlight all the vulnerable things on the internet, essentially. Uh, it links directly into Internet of Things because a lot of Internet of Things devices will have services that are maybe default credentials, like admin-admin, or even just admin and no password. And what Shodan does is it scans the entire internet looking for these services. Uh, it's not just Internet of Things, it's any anything that's on the internet essentially. So you're talking CCTV cameras, cars, airports. Baby nuclear, monitors. Baby monitors, that's industrial a real control one. systems. On a wee, yeah, industrial control systems, that's another really interesting one as well. Um, just a wee note on... Uh, things like baby monitors. I spoke to somebody at Steelcon uh, who showed me their honours research. I think it was for their university, uh, where it. they found a device that was on Amazon. Yep. Uh, that had, and I might, I might be getting some of this incorrect, but it was along the lines of, it was, uh, I think, root was the username to tell yep. it into the device with blank password, and malware was also found on there. Yeah, that uh, sounds like it's been put net. intentionally. Yeah, or part of a botnet. There's a botnet, so. called, botnet called Mirai, uh, which targeted Internet of Things devices. Uh, so uh, it targeted CCTV cameras and also targeted baby, baby monitors because, generally speaking, they had Telnet exposed to the Internet and also default credentials such mm. as root, root and blank or root and tour or root and one, two, three, four. And um, just to highlight that, uh, I think that was it was a year or two ago that this uh, chap wrote this dissertation on this exact baby monitor that was available for sale on Amazon. So while I was talking to him, I was curious. I was like, "So did you tell Amazon about what's happened here?" And apparently, yeah, but nothing's came of it, and we know that because we had a quick look on Amazon at that very moment just to see uh, if the product was still for sale and it is still on there for the price of about £30. Someone can be sitting there looking at your kid. So basically, what I'd like to put into that for myself is when I first heard that, I was shocked. And since then, I've tightened up my internet security and I've had another look around for all the cheaper devices that I've bought over the years yeah, just yep. to see if there's anything worrying about them. They all seem okay, which is good. Well, so on, on the topic of IoT, I mean, the, the company I currently work for do a lot of research into internet things devices but uh, what the point I was putting actually going on to is there's a Twitter account called the Internet of Shit which talks about lots of different internet enabled things that are now like if you can have it connect to the internet we're going to fucking connect to the internet when in actual fact why why do I want my washing machine connected to the internet oh, yeah. why do I want my micro microwave on the internet why, why do I want these things I mean the washing machine is actually interesting so my for some unknown reason, I, I wasn't aware of it when I bought the washing machine, my washing machine has a Wi-Fi network built into it. It's now disabled because I've unhooked the um, antenna and I've unplugged it and stuff, but I don't know why antenna. you would want your washing machine to be internet connected. So yeah, that's, that's it. There's a convenience that I think I can understand why they're maybe trying to put this technology into these devices no, of just, no, just I, no. I, I'm trying to play devil's advocate, advocate Andy and it is hard because it seems so <laughs> dumb right? it just really does but I guess if you're coming home and you want the kettle boiled so that you can instantly have that cup of tea that whole two minutes earlier yeah 
No, I can't. I can't do the. Div- I can't do a devil's advocate. It's just dumb. Uh, just it's opening fun. massive security holes. It seems to your entire house, and then uh, obviously once you're into one device, I guess the idea is to just pivot around the rest on the same network. Yeah, it's just a way into someone's network. It's the, the problem. I mean, the problem lies with either one that holds your Wi-Fi password, and depending on mm. where you've got your network set up, if you if you're setting up a normal consumer. So home network, typically speaking, it's probably a flat network. So you pop one device, you've got access to everything. Or some of the more kind of techie-minded people that listen to this might have properly segregated home networks. I know I do. I've got um, three networks set up. I've got a guest network for people that rock up to my house, uh, which has got a captive portal because I'm a prick like that. Um, and then I've I got my <laughs> IoT network, which is all my lights and shit. And then I've got my main network that's got my work stuff on it. So... Yeah, well, it's smart. Obviously, with the amount of devices, I think you've got connected. What what was the count again, Andy, of your internet of things? It's in, it's in the hundreds. It's, in the it's just in the hundreds. Uh, yeah, so I love that you take a moment or two to just highlight that people shouldn't be putting internet of things in any of their technology, yet you seem to have a fair amount of it yourself. Yeah, but it's, it's segregated from the important things. Yeah. So I, I see it as... My threat model is if, if you want to hack me, come ahead, because I'll fucking smash you. Yeah, but really. That seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, there's a warning out there. That's fantastic, public. Um, we, we digress. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, we've actually we're keeping an eye on time this time because, as we yeah. mentioned at the beginning, uh, to be honest, the first pilot we didn't mean that for that to be an hour and a half. That was a surprise for us as much as anyone. Uh, but uh, we're trying to keep it down to a bit more manageable. So maybe if you're out in your commute, uh, it's uh, just the perfect amount for you managing to get to work. Um, and if so, you're laughing out loud, we do apologise, but we're fucking hilarious. So deal with it yeah i mean sure andy <laughs> <laughs> so um i guess uh, to be honest i think we've kind of we've talked about quite a lot of interesting stuff there a lot of it's going to be their own episodes because uh, it's just too much to talk about at the beginning we're just getting a bit more practice ourselves of doing this uh podcast uh and um yeah and i think uh, it's basically have you got we've we got any housekeeping now that we're on episode one or to whatever oh. we decided but. I suppose all, all that's left to say is DEFCON is next week mm. or is it, as it's mm. better known well De- DEFCON Glasgow's on anyone who's in the Glasgow area as this is Ouija Cast, it's uh, it'll be on Tuesday at 7.30pm in the Griffin pub uh, but real DEFCON DEFCON Las Vegas starts next week starts on Thursday um, so that'll be fun yeah, uh, the locusts like I oh God, here no, are still yeah. there and they're not going anywhere so enjoy that Little bastards. Yeah, little bastards indeed. Um, so a couple of little bits that I've wrote down that uh, just to let people know, uh, we've been discussing with someone that I met at SteelCon and that your colleagues with and good friends with, uh, Neil yep. Lines, um, who has confirmed that you'd like to be on the podcast. Uh, Neil is a network engineer, uh, or was a network engineer, now pen tester. Uh, that's I started studying my CCNA about four months ago, I mentioned last episode. Um, so yeah. originally I didn't have interest in getting into pen testing because I didn't know enough about it. Uh, and now I've went from taking CCNA and the kind of basic network fundamentals there and putting that into the my OSCP training, which is exactly what I want to do. Um, so that's exactly what Neil did, but he did it for an entire career um, and then moved over. Uh, so we've got him coming on. Hopefully that'll be in the next month or so. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I think so. I think we can probably look at doing that. I think we'll probably do an episode of Ouija Cast before Neil comes on and then look at doing one maybe end of, end of August, start of September. I suppose yeah. we'll check with Neil and see when he's free. 
I'm interested in picking your brains over DEFCON, so I'll be coming up with a load of questions and obviously hear about your experience there. So uh, oh, not all of us will have the opportunity to go over to Las Vegas, so it'll be interested to hear a bit sure. about, about that. What um, happens so, in Vegas ends up on the Ouija cast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think that's how the phrase goes, right? but I'm, I'm okay with it, like, because I want to hear it as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything for today. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to l- listen to us ramble uh, about things to do with security. Uh, we're uh, on Twitter. We're active. If you've got any questions, uh, anything you want to talk to about, t- talk to us about, please do let us know. Uh, any last messages from you, Andy? Yeah. Uh, thank you to everyone who listened I know I said it at the start but thank you to everyone that listened to the pilot episode mm-hmm. um, it's overwhelming how many platforms we're on now, like we launched on SoundCloud uh, I hosted it on my blog and now we're on uh, Pocket Casts uh, Google Casts uh, loads of other shit, Spotify Like we're, we're, we're going up in the world Dave we're going to be fucking legends of security at some point I'll be a pleb, but I'll be a pleb that's in and amongst uh, all, all these interesting people that I've got a lot to learn off of. So it feels good for me. And again, just as Andy said, thank you very much for your time, folks. And uh, thank you very much for your feedback. Please keep it up. Uh, we'll be back after you've been away to DEFCON, most likely, because you'll be away yep. for about a week and a bit. So yep. keep, uh, keep an eye on Twitter. We'll let you know when there's another episode. In the meantime, we're WeGCast. Have a good night. We are WeGCast. Enjoy. Cheers. Have a good day, not just night. Whatever. <laughs> Cheers, folks. Oh, fuck you, Andy. Bye, bye. Nailed <laughs> <laughs> it.